Greetings and salutations to all of you lovely and beautiful individuals listening to this podcast. Welcome to episode seven of the Raindrop Corner. This was an incredibly engaging and exciting interview to do. And not just because I had two wildly talented guests, but also because I really enjoyed their takeaways and their perspectives on the different topics that we talked about. And it was a really, really cool glimpse into film, writing, and acting, and not just in the general sense, but also in the technical and more philosophical realm as well. I do feel the need to give a pre-podcast disclaimer and just say that this is the first interview that I've ever done through Skype or FaceTime. So there's a noticeable audio volume difference on my side versus that of my guests. And because it was storming pretty badly, there are moments where the audio starts to distort and towards the end it starts to time out, if you will. I did edit to the best of my ability so that you don't feel the effects aside from the audio irregularity, but I promise I will get better in all things aside. The content was absolutely phenomenal. I have to give major kudos to Carson T. Morrissey and Miss Shelby Davis for taking the time to do an interview with me. They both are delightful, not just in what they create, but also in who they are as people. So this was loads of fun for me, and I hope that you all enjoy this episode. So about, I want to say three to four months ago, I stumbled across a really awesome fan-made film. I'm a huge Life is Strange fan. And for those of you unfamiliar with Life is Strange, it is a fantastic video game created by the development company Don't Nod, who also created the video game Remember Me. Now, Life is Strange kind of falls into the realm with games like Beyond Two Souls, The Wolf Among Us... Um, Until Dawn, Heavy Rain, it's a decision-based game, basically. So what that means is whoever the protagonist is, he or she, based off of how you have them behave, whether they're blunt, whether they're abrasive, despondent, or kind, it starts to affect how the game turns out. It also starts to affect how the characters around that protagonist respond to them. So Life is Strange is very much so one of those games. It chronicles the character Maxine Caulfield, formerly known as Max, because um, she does not really like the the name Maxine. We, we call her Max in this case. So Max has come back to her hometown of Arcadia Bay after being away for several years to go to a formidable arts. She's a high school student in her senior year of high school. And when the game opens up, she's um, basically walking up this hillside towards a lighthouse. And she's basically walking in horrible conditions. The sky is dark. It looks very much so like how it would look in hurricane-esque type of weather. It's rainy, it's windy. When she gets to the top of this, this hill, which is right next to a lighthouse, she sees this humongous tornado off in the distance. This um, almost eerie kind of inhuman type of storm headed towards her her town of Arcadia Bay and then from that moment she wakes up in class you know thinking that this is just a nightmare. The story really starts when Max leaves class and, and goes to the bathroom where you know she unknowingly stumbles across her best friend her childhood best friend Chloe Price. Chloe Price she then witnesses um, being shot by a fellow classmate completely distraught and emotional and freaking out. She reaches out and she realizes that she can rewind time. She ends up back in class where she was when she woke up from this nightmare. And then she then prevents her best friend, Chloe Price, from being shot. Now the video game takes place within a week span, so it's not a very long time frame that you have. But the story kind of chronicles Max and Chloe's... Um, kind of rekindling of their friendship amidst this huge mystery. Um, Chloe Price was involved with a student by the name of Rachel Amber, and the student mysteriously went missing. So Chloe, thinking that because Max can rewind time, she can suddenly help her locate Rachel Amber, they kind of try to solve this mystery together, figuring out what happened to the student. And as a result, other mysteries as well, because the nightmare that she has in the beginning of the storm coming to Arcadia Bay starts to seem like it's coming true. Strange things start to happen. Animals start dying. Um, the weather is really, really erratic and just unpredictable and things that wouldn't normally 
happen start to happen in this town of Arcadia Bay. What's impressive about this video game outside of the central concept of it is the fact that this video game really blends together themes like LGBT relationships. I think I was more impressed at the fact that this story doesn't focus on them as in I'm a lesbian or I'm bisexual or I'm pansexual. It feels very natural and very fluid. They don't necessarily describe it as at no point in the story is anybody described as a lesbian or anything like that. It just people form relationships in the story and it's natural. They talk about things such as bullying and suicide and rape and it's a very relatable game in the essence that you really get to see the angst of growing up and what love and loss does to you and in bitterness and regret and you see that in those characters and you get really attached to them so when I stumbled across this fan-made movie you know it really touched me because with video games they they video game adaptations, I should say, they normally don't capture the mystique of the source material and the emotion that you get from the original video game. So I feel like this really did. So I absolutely had to have Carson T. Morrissey and Miss Shelby Davis on my show today. And they're actually here. Um, Carson T. Morrissey directed the film, did an amazing job. Um, and then you have Mrs. Shelby Davis, who acted and also did a phenomenal job playing Max Caulfield herself. So I have both of those awesome people here on my podcast today. Um, so I'm super, super excited to talk with you both. Um, and thank you so much for agreeing to do it. I was I was really, really touched by the game, but I was also really, really touched by the film. What exactly prompted you to make the film in the first place? Um, really, I mean, same as you, I... I bought the game used for $15 from a local video game store and literally within like 10 minutes of starting the game, I just fell in love with it. The aesthetic, the music, the characters, everything. And it was, it was very early on that I just had this kind of feeling of, wow, I'd really like to make something out of this. So that started to really, but you know, once I really got immersed into the story, I just had this insatiable drive to make some kind of adaptation of this. Initially, it was actually just going to be a short film, but then I couldn't really find a way to just distill the story down to a level where I felt like it'd be okay to just tell like a 15 minute version of the story. So the 15 minute short film turned into the two and a half hour long film that got released. It was really just the a feeling, just a sense of passion for the story and a desire as an artist and a fan to tell it. You can really see that shine. I think what was most impressive was the casting in the film. It was <laughs> it was wonderful to look at it, um, specifically even with Warren, who it didn't look like how he looked in the game, but still did a phenomenal job. I really loved yes. the interpretation on that. On on your end, was it? Was it really difficult to direct a film like that? Because I know that making a film is not is not easy at all. It's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that kind of go into right. it. I wouldn't say I mean it was any more or less difficult than anything than anything else that I've directed. Now, I've been making films for nearly a decade now since I was in like grade school. That's awesome. But yeah, thank you. But I mean, like, it was not to say oh it was easy because it wasn't. It was extremely difficult. But it was just you know each movie, each project presents a different set of challenges. So with this, the specific challenges that it presented were different, you know, in that I wanted to try to match the aesthetics of the game while also giving it my own distinct flavor because I didn't just want it to be a carbon copy or else why do it? Um, so I would say it was, it was no more challenging than anything else, but there was definitely a different level of personal pressure to get it right. Yeah, I wasn't just living up to my own expectations. I was living up to the expectations of the hundreds of thousands of people that have seen it now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say from a directing standpoint, you try to just keep your head on straight and just not think about, you know, the, the pressure of it. But it wasn't really any more or less difficult than anything else. Just a different kind of difficult. And Shelby, you acted in the movie. How was that experience for you? And how long have you been acting in general? So I actually, I started acting when I was seven. I did my first show. I was in a musical production of Schoolhouse Rock. It is a musical. Yeah, it's a musical. That's pretty cool. It was in a stage production of Schoolhouse Rock. Um, And I've just been in love with it ever since. I think I've been in at least a show every year since. 
Um, and I've been really dedicated to my local community theater here where I'm living now for quite a few years. And it was actually, I think, through that avenue that Carson kind of discovered me because he actually reached out to me to audition mm-hmm. for What If. Um, and I was over the moon because I had already heard of Carson's <laughs> reputation and I had wanted to get involved with him. Um, but I, I had no idea how to go about doing that. And so the fact that he reached out to me and he's like, Hey, I've got this role that I'd love to see you for. I'm like, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was really, really excited. Um, but I had never heard of life is strange. So I did a lot of research going into it to kind of get the feel of Max and see what she was like. And then, of course, like everybody else, I fell in love with the game. And and I just want to say, like, to her credit, when she said she did research, she had pages, like, notebook pages <laughs> of written notes on, like, Max's personality, Max's physical tics. Like, there are mo- I don't remember exactly what points in the movie, but there are multiple times in the movie where she literally purposely does things physically that Max does in the game. And, like, even, like, you know, like, shaking the Polaroid pictures. We're aware that you don't actually have to shake a Polaroid. And I, I'm also aware I just quoted the song. But, like, <laughs> you don't actually have to shake a Polaroid to develop it, but we did it because that's what she does in the game. And that was all Shelby. I mean, she had just this extreme dedication to getting this right while also making her your own. And I think we just ended up with this really cool version of this character. So, and she also has an amazing reputation locally. I mean, I had heard of her through multiple avenues, and so she was just an easy choice. But we didn't know each other at all going into it, which is just kind of funny. It's cool how movies can bring different talents and different people together. Was it, was it hard for you to become Max, and did you find shades of yourself in that character? Absolutely. Um... I obviously found it difficult just because I've never had to sort of try to embody the essence of an existing character so strongly. I think with stage, um, even with iconic characters, there is a lot more room for give and take. But with this, again, like Carson said, you really, really want to live up to the expectations of everyone who loves the game and Max and Chloe and everyone. Um, so there, there was more pressure going into it with that, but I definitely connected to Max a lot, <laughs> a lot. Um, I did find a lot of myself in her and kind of finding her, her voice. Um, it was, it was a challenge, but I wouldn't say that it was difficult. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, you know, same kind of thing where like you know with what I was saying earlier about the challenges of directing yeah she was already an extremely experienced actor so I wouldn't say like it didn't seem like just from the out from a director's standpoint from the outside looking in I never felt like I had to push you to be in character it was just a level of like you know finding the balance finding your voice yeah finding yeah the finding our max Caulfield Essentially, how long did it take you to actually cast the film? A couple months. Uh, I would say, because I actually contacted you toward the end, if I recall. I believe we did. Yeah, we had almost everybody else first, which is generally how it works when you're making a movie. You kind of cast the smaller roles first, then you build up to finding your lead. At least in my experience, like that's the same way it worked for Dawn. But um, I would say it took me about two months to compile everybody. which is about how long it took for almost every other film that I've done. You want to give yourself enough time to make sure that you explore all your options, but you also don't want to take so much time. The people that you do cast are like just sitting there then for like half a year. So <laughs> fair enough. I'm say about two months. That's actually not too bad. And, and that's the thing too is like it, when you're making independent film, at least in my experience, you're working on a very accelerated schedule. You know, you're, because you're working with almost no money, no resources, you're working around people's jobs and schooling and just everyday family life. So there is kind of that level of you have to be able to do everything, you know, much faster than you would on a set where people are getting paid $100 a day. Even, you know, me saying, oh, we took two two months, which is a pretty long time. Like, obviously, maybe that's not for a professional production, but it's, it's just kind of the timetable we have to work on, which I'm comfortable with. That's pretty impressive, though, because, I mean, casting and, and adapting and then shooting and working around schedules isn't something that's easy to do. 
did you find yourself getting discouraged at any point or was it was it truly it seemed like it was definitely a passion project um but did you it was a passion project but to say i didn't ever get discouraged would be an absolute lie i mean like it's you know i don't know how to say this without sounding like self-deprecating but yeah i'm definitely like any artist i think i doubt myself and my decisions often the pressure of trying to do your best at this and to live up to the expectations of your cast and your fans and everybody else, it gets to you. So there were definitely days leading up to filming where it was like, oh my God, how the hell are we going to get this done? And then there are other days where it's like, oh, we've got this in the bag. Like it, it just, you know, it depends. Ultimately, I'd say we all did a pretty good job of keeping our heads up, but I know there are plenty of times where like, I would just be like, okay, I just spent all day laying in bed and I have 15 things to do. Like it's, you know, <laughs> I think it's like anything, you know, it's just some days you feel like you have the whole world in your hands and other days it's like the work is just this mountain in front of you and you don't know how to climb it. But well, and from, from my perspective coming into it, sort of, I say towards the end, but towards the beginning of the filming process, the end of the casting process. Yeah. Um, I got to kind of run a few of those last minute errands with Carson. For him, it was probably like a, a duck on the water, where surface level, he seemed totally in control, totally calm. But I know that, like, under the water, his feet were just. <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, even on set, any hiccups that we had, we, we just worked through, and everybody was so involved that they just ran with the punches. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing that's a great point, actually. You know, when you're the director, you're kind of playing a character yourself in that I have to be unaffected if a meteor crashes on set and destroys where I'm filming. Like, it, it's my job to be the, the kind of calm, in-control person, which anybody who knows me could tell you I'm probably not in real life. But, you know... It, you have to be able to be professional. You have to be able to keep your cool and not lose your temper. And granted, I don't have a temper to lose, really. But, <laughs> but it's a good it's, thing. Yeah, it's, there's, there's a certain level of pressure to not react to stressful stimuli. And so, you know, you just get home that night and you sleep for 12 hours and wake up the next morning and do it again. <laughs> what I was really wanting to also ask you is how did you do the storm? How did you do the tornado in the film? Like what what um, software did you use to do that? Do, do you want do you want to lose the complete? Do you want to hear the completely unromantic way that I did the tornado? Because here it is. Um, <laughs> now first of all, okay, I'll, I'll, let me tell the, the, the lame half of the story first, and then the cool part at the end. Okay. Say the actual meat. Yeah. That sounds good. It'll the it'll have a build up. Is I googled CGI tornado, mm-hmm. um, and I downloaded a whole bunch of special effects and copied and pasted them into the shot and combined them in a way that made them look halfway decent. I, I, I'll be honest, effects editing is not my specialty. I'm, I'm very well-versed at you know, putting a film together and sound adjustment and all of that, but I'm not an After Effects wizard, mm-hmm. and we just didn't have the money or time to find somebody who was for this one. For Dawn, we're working on that. But for What If, it was just, you know, whatever money I had on my desk that morning and however much time we felt like spending on it. So it was very piecemeal. However, the cool part, we were actually helped by the fact that there was an unexpected thunderstorm the day that we were supposed to be filming that scene. <laughs> That's so, so cool. I know, it was awesome. <laughs> like, it was like the, the weather that morning had been clear because we literally mm-hmm. been talking on the way to the set about how it was going to suck because it was going to be bright and sunny and how we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And we got there and we saw this thunderhead off in the far distance. They was just like, no, no way. And within about three hours, by the time we started filming the storm scene, it's windy and there was lightning and it, the sky was all purple. So a lot of what you're seeing is just the actual storm that was going on. There were tornadoes in other cities that day. Wow. Like, yeah. And it was, and it was I think they, there were like a 20% chance of rain that morning, mm-hmm. but nothing like that was pretty good. See, it was yeah. meant to be. Yes, it was, it, was, it was cool. It was very serendipitous. Oh, that's pretty cool. I, I love I love seeing how people will edit and cut a movie. And what was also really impressive was how the movie was put together. Sometimes with adaptations, like with film adaptations that I've seen, even if they kind of deviate from the source material, sometimes the characters in the plot will kind of lose itself in 
in the event of trying to be original, and this didn't do that. So yeah. I, yeah, that was that was really that was really cool, and I think it was what really engaged me as I was watching the film. My general rule with writing characters for this was that I didn't want to take any traits away that were already there. I didn't want to subtract anything from the existing characters. So anything that is different is something that I added. So like, I gave Max a little bit more confidence than she has in the game to make the story move faster, but I tried not to take away any of her introspection or her quirkiness or her self-doubt or things like that. You know, or for for, uh, Chloe. Like, a lot of people have commented that, oh, Chloe isn't as mean as she is in the game. It's like, to make the story work in two and a half hours, you have to make her a little bit less difficult to approach than she is in the game. So I just tried to add kind of that nihilistic humor as a way to make up for the loss of the walls that she's built up. So it, it's it's just a thing of kind of trying to balance it. You have to... I tried to add before I subtracted, basically. And you definitely see that. How how was the reception of the film when you actually released it to audiences and they saw it? Surprisingly good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie, just given the reputation of video game films in general and, again, my own self-doubt, I was like, oh God, people are just going to tear it apart. And... Honestly, the vast majority of people who've seen it have either genuinely loved it or at least appreciated it for what it is. Yeah, we of course we get a smattering of negative comments because you're going to. But it has been overwhelmingly positively received, which is more than I ever could have asked for. So it's been really cool. Well, I don't know if you want to comment as an actor, kind of your perspective on that. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, something I want to comment on because he won't say it because he doesn't toot his own horn. But <laughs> at, the, at the live premiere, I mean, you got a standing ovation because people really, they really do like it. And, and the thing is, a lot of the people that were at the live premiere are people from our community that have never even heard of Life is Strange. So they appreciated the film, even not having the context of where it came from. And I think that's been the coolest thing to see. Yeah. It was, it was pretty amazing. I mean, just knowing that I got this story across to people who hadn't even heard of it. And that was the goal, of course, because I understood that the vast majority of people who see this are probably going to be people, at least locally, who haven't played the game or are only kind of passive fans. So I, I really tried to make it accessible to almost everybody. And I'm doing the same thing with Dawn, which is double difficult since it's a prequel to an already existing thing. You know, trying to make it so that it works as a standalone as well as an adaptation. And yeah, so it, it got, it was very well received and I was very, very happy. It's nice that you could watch it as a standalone. Now, because you're also making Dawn, which is a prequel story, I was curious. Now, upon playing Dawn, not to knock the game because I love Before the Storm, I feel like it's actually more realistic than Life is Strange. And the way it handles teenage relationships and just adolescence and all of that is really nicely done. There were some inconsistencies in the game comparing it with the original Life is Strange game. Yes. Are you, how are you working through those inconsistencies with your adaptation of it? We're actually kind of, and this isn't something I've really said publicly because I think it's difficult to verbalize. It's going to be easier to just watch it. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of simultaneously considering it both a prequel to what is and Life is Strange also its own thing. Before the Storm is a prequel to Life is Strange, but it's also just its own story about these two girls and their kind of attempts to work through the problems that they have. And so I didn't want the obsession with making it a prequel to overshadow what makes it work as a story. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very similar. You know, there are definitely some things that might be slightly out of line with exactly what happens in Life is Strange or what's said in Life is Strange. Because again, I wrote what if before I'd ever played Before the Storm. So, of course, going into it, it's like, okay, obviously I could have written what if differently knowing this, but I didn't. So, it's... But I think what I would say is that even for any discrepancies in following the exact plot of the game, I think it follows very nicely with the plot of what if. (laughs) And I think it fills in a lot of the holes that people were pointing out to us. Issues that they were having with what if some characters that were left out, some story elements that yeah. weren't touched on, and I think Carson has done a really great job of tying up those loose ends with Dawn. Mm-hmm. 
there's a there's a lot with Dawn that I really tried. Yeah, I really tried to take because I mean it when I say that. I really do read all the comments. I read everything that gets posted, and I take every every uh, negative comment about the film into account. And so I, I really did try to answer what I felt were some of the more burning critiques that people had of what if story wise. So yeah, it, it's it's gonna be cool. I'm I'm feeling really optimistic about it. What were some of the critiques that you got about the film after it was made? Um Jefferson is the yeah, big one. Yeah, Jefferson is the big one. A lot of people are upset that Jefferson wasn't in it. Um and again, I'm kinda of hoping that the presence of Damon in Before the Storm, you know, the film having a big bad, like it didn't really have a what if, is going to make up for that a little bit. But Jefferson not being in it was more of just a time thing than a story thing. It's not, I don't dislike Jefferson as a character, I love him in the game, but it's just, it just didn't work. Other critiques people have had, you know, obviously just casting stuff. There are some people that think this person wasn't right for this character, this person wasn't right for this character, and you're going to have that no matter what. A lot of people didn't love my camera work. Which again is objective. You know, I I, I did that. Uh, I shoot handheld a lot of times, mm-hmm. and I did not have the money for a good stabilizer for what if, which we have actually purchased a really nice stabilizer with the funding awesome. for Dawn. Yeah. So that will be that won't be there. The shaky cam will not be nearly as prevalent to Dawn, no. which I'm sure people are excited about. But and then obviously, you know, some of the negative comments are just. Hateful, hateful comments. Yeah, like the majority of critiques have been constructive, and even the comments about Jefferson. I mean, I completely understand people who really liked him as a character and wanted him in the movie. Yeah, um, I try to be a little bit more lenient on video game adaptations because I've seen so many, and I don't like calling movies horrible because I respect everyone who goes out and lives their dream. But I've seen some really horrible video game yeah. adaptations. <laughs> So this one was refreshing because it was it was really good. And I think you said your budget was was it five hundred dollars? Is that what you said? $500. It was? So yeah, I mean that wasn't even like it's not like I say that, but it's not like I had like a pool of five hundred dollars sitting inside. That's just like how much I spent what over the course of the, <laughs> yeah. the as far as like a constructed budget, this film had no budget. It was just whatever I was able to spend over the six or so month process of pre and post production. I really admired the time put into it, and the writing as well. It felt very natural, and watching the exchanges with the character also felt very natural. Now, Shelby, since you, since you acted in the first one, and now in Don, you're the project manager, was it a little bit of a transition going from acting in the first film to being a project manager? Yeah, it is, obviously, because it's, um, I've done managerial work and like dramaturgy on theater productions in the past so I have a little bit of experience with that but obviously that's something I've never done with film and I've never (laughs) been on this end of things in quite so greater respect I don't know um it it is interesting just because Carson and I had so many exchanges about just bouncing ideas off each other and things right after what if, mm-hmm. even for some different projects that we were considering. And so I think kind of stepping into this role on Dawn is just more of an extension of yeah the friendly conversations over dinner. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing, is like, really, I mean, and again, I'll say this because you're not going to, she's naturally just amazing at understanding how to organize and prioritize things like this and I am not I am the definition of the stereotypical creative who like has all these great ideas but absolutely no concept of how to constructively put things together and she's very very good at that so it's very easy for us to just sit down and for me to say okay here's the 5064 things that I want to do and she can say okay well here's how we can get that done it's always interesting to see how the technical aspects of a film go because in conjunction with the people who act in the film and the directing, it really is like a part of the backbone of the film. And it's it's something that sometimes people don't realize just how much work goes into all of those extra things like yeah. cutting scenes and piecing them all together and makeup and clothing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, and that's a nice thing, too. We're excited on Dawn because 
the team for What If, I don't know if we've ever really properly yeah. asked this or not, the team for What If was Carson and the guy that helped with Mike. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Who's amazing. <laughs> no, 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 he's great. Yeah, no, I'm, not, I'm not like doubting it. But I'm just saying it was it was a team too. Yeah. And the actors. And like there were plenty of scenes where Nick wasn't available. And so literally it was me holding a camera in one hand and holding a boom mic in the other hand. Like, and honestly, those aren't the scenes that people have made fun of the shaky cam for. But I mean, like, it's, when we say this was like, this was a one person or two person production, that's literally what it was. Truly. And for Dawn, we have a fairly We're assembling a little team. A now. little team. And it's yeah. exciting just to have at least a little bit of support yeah. so that we don't have to. I mean, I'm still going to be doing the camera work myself just because I like to honestly, but it's, you know, we have at least a dedicated person for costuming and makeup and things like that, that I just have no time to handle myself. So, it, it's nice to have some support. <laughs> I'm going to presume, especially since, well, I'm excited about the Temptus. I'm assuming that you probably will put that in the film, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah that, that's, I'm a huge Shakespeare fan, so anything Shakespeare related. <laughs> Yeah, so are we. It's just... <laughs> it was like that was a no-brainer. We had, we had to put that in the movie for sure. So, yeah. Did you did you all... Des- are you all manually kind of designing the costumes for the Temptus? Or are you kind of piecing them together with things that you find? Or a little bit of both? Mm-hmm. Um, so, actually, my mom is a seamstress. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's pretty cool. She will actually... Yeah, she will be crafting the costumes. And we're going... I'll get a, a little bit of just a, yeah, a sprinkle. Yeah, of we we are basing them off of the designs in the game, mm-hmm. but Carson also bought the like the collector's edition for Dawn, and so mm-hmm. we got the art book and saw the concept art. Mm-hmm. And the second I saw the concept <laughs> art for Chloe's Raven costume, I was like, "Oh, hold on! <laughs> oh my yeah. God, we've got new inspiration now." Yeah, so we're so gonna, it's kind of a blend of a couple of the different concepts for yeah. the original costume. Just because, again, it's cool to do things a little bit differently and to make it a little bit original mm-hmm. so people aren't just looking at the exact same thing. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. We, we love costuming, so. Yeah. yeah, costuming is probably one of the coolest parts of, of being a filmmaker. Just kind of, because it kind of helps bring that character alive in conjunction with all the acting and the emotion and, you know, obvious dialogue that they bleed into the screen right. as well. Shall we? From what I observed, I mean, when you put an actor in a costume, Mm -hmm. any costume, be it just a t-shirt and jeans or like a full-on, you know, stage outfit, it is amazing the changes that will come over that person. I mean, just it, 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 when they put on the costume, they just physically enter the character, and it's like, it's just always a cool experience. The difference between like the read-through and the first day of filming when they're dressed, you know, when they are Chloe or you are Max or something like that. It's, it's, it makes such a big difference. So that's one of my favorite things is just like seeing that change, seeing them become that character physically. And was it because Shelby, you started with theater and in productions and you kind of moved over to film, was it intricate for you to go from acting on a stage versus being on camera? Surprisingly, I didn't find the transition as difficult as I kind of anticipated it being because prior I had zero um, screen experience pretty much uh, besides, you know, the little school project here and there. So I, I really didn't know what to expect going into it, but I was surprised that it just felt like an extension of the playing space for me. Whereas in a traditional theater setting, you're playing to that fourth wall and that's where your focus has to be in a film you're just living in the world around you and you can move and turn and shift as needed and I found that very liberating to kind of get the freedom to finally have full range of motion and I could fluctuate my voice and so I I found the experience very freeing personally I really enjoyed it I agree with you. It is it is really freeing. Whereas there are a lot more stipulations and rules when you're on someone's stage versus in front of a camera. As a director and then as an actress, what kind of inspired you both to do what you do? What drives you as far as your passions? Do you want to go first? Do you want to... <laughs> I'll 
I probably won't talk as long, so I can go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, go. I'll go first. Um, for me, I got started, I... When I was little, I was very, very, very timid. And I, I think the funny thing is we have a lot of similarities in how we got started and we why do. we can we do. Because I had a difficult home life. Yeah. And so I found myself very reserved and closed off. We have very creepily similar childhood stories. We do. It's odd. <laughs> so it, acting came about for me because I had always had an obsession with musicals. I think I went back to my local library every week to renew my rental on Cats and Joseph and the Technicolor. <laughs> that is awesome. So, like, those are two of my favorites. Every single week I was checking those movies out and Phantom of the Opera when that came out was hugely inspirational and the same for him we found out. Um, and so I, I had always wanted to sing and I always loved dressing up and creating little stories and playing characters and so my mom just came to me one day and said, hey, there's auditions for a local children's show, and I think you'd have a lot of fun with it. I was terrified. My little seven-year-old self stumbled <laughs> into that audition and sat in the corner and cried until Aww. I eventually worked up the nerve to get up there and sing after everyone had left. Um, but it just, it was incredible, the community that formed for me around acting and especially around theater. Um, there's just such an incredible sense of camaraderie and that finding that hope I think is what I really needed at that time and finding that place where I could just be myself and I didn't have you know the difficulties of daily life you leave them at the door and you come in and you play and that's all there is to it and I think that's just I found it at the exact right time in my life and that has always stayed with me so I think that's why I did and still do what I do. So for me, <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I went through a lot of different phases of what exactly I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, but and I'm kind of patching together my own recollection, also from what my my uh, parents and my family have told me. But you know, when I was really really small, like five six years old, I would write things down and scribble drawings and then give them to my friends and family and make them dress up in costumes and act things out. <laughs> that is so and, cool. Yeah, I mean, like, literally, like, when I, like, I've been writing and directing little stories since I could. And, like, since I don't even have a recollection of. I've always just had this burning desire to tell stories. Um, particularly my original, like the original stories that I write myself are often horror and thriller related. Even from an extremely young age, I just had this intrinsic need to tell stories. And I discovered film just kind of by accident. You know, I, I, I always loved movies, but I was, even when I was very, very young, I just loved movies. And we just kind of decided, my friends and I, when I was in like third or fourth grade, that, hey, we should start just like recording ourselves playing in the backyard like the stories we're creating and stuff like that and then show them to people and that's how it started it was just us in the backyard in overcoats with uh uh airsoft guns <laughs> and you know just not not a script not a story nothing but just recording that and eventually you know as other people kind of found other things to do i was still hooked on that and I started writing down scripts and researching and watching movies and watching movies and watching so many movies. Um, and I eventually kind of found my style. And, like, the thing is, I'm still working with people today mm -hmm. that are my grade school friends that I have been doing this with since I was small. Um, you know, my friend Wheeler, like, we've been friends since, you know, oh, God, it's early <laughs> junior high, very early junior high. And he's still in a lot of my movies. So it's like, you know, it, it's just something that's kind of evolved throughout my entire life. And it just, it keeps me going. It's my escape. It's my passion. I love it more than anything else. So it's just, it's just what I do. I don't know. It, it's just the thing of like, it's what I have to do. I couldn't imagine doing anything else at the time. It's so much a part of Carson's character that seriously, he, he doesn't even understand the way that 
you can bring up his name in any conversation in this town and they'll go, oh, the filmmaker kid. Like, it's so much a part of Carson's character that he he tells stories. He's a filmmaker. It's just who he is. So. That has to be super rewarding, though. Especially, it's, it's great that it's kind <laughs> yeah. of always been a part of your life, too. What do you, as not just a filmmaker and a storyteller, but as a person, what do you want to bring to the filmmaking world? You, you mentioned that you kind of focus on um, horror and, and, and thrillers and, and the like. What kind of drew you towards that genre as well? Um, again, I, I don't really have a reason for it. I've always loved monsters. I mean... This is somebody like, you know, I, the director I kind of empathize with the most on this level is, like, Guillermo del Toro. When he talks about, I've just always loved monsters. It's kind of the same with me. Like, even when I was, you know, drawing stick figures at, like, eight years old, I would draw blood and guts and monsters and stuff like that. And my teachers would get super freaked out. My parents would be like, no, he's fine. He just likes this stuff. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and I, but now, yeah, as an adult, and the way that my stories have evolved, what I really want to bring to this genre is inclusivity. I've started to really heavily focus on stories revolving around LGBT characters, and I'm starting to reach out to and work with more people of color, and I I really think that people look at horror movies and at thrillers and it's just kind of considered the schlock genre it's like the b movies oh it's just it's a scary movie it's popcorn and i want to make horror movies that can win oscars you know i i think that it's an often overlooked genre to explore our humanity and i think that by you know by putting things into extremes by having evil be a monster instead of just a person you know you can kind of use that as a tool as a, as a parable um, so yeah, I, it, it's funny because it's my, it's like my goals and aspirations for what I want my movies to be are so vastly different from like the genre that I love, but I, I really want to just be a positive voice for the idea that it doesn't matter what you look like or who you are. Or what your background is. If you want to be an artist, if you want to be an actor, you can do it. You know, you don't have to be a model. You don't have to be this the Hollywood standard for what a woman or a man or a non-binary individual should look like. You know, so I I try to cast accordingly. I try to write accordingly, and that's just kind of my goal. I want to make movies for everybody. And yeah, I'm rambling, but yeah. No, everything that you said was awesome and and so absolutely true. Like you just, for instance, like if you're surfing around on Netflix or Hulu or on demand on television, it's very hard to find quality LGBT plus films. It's very hard to find um, movies with with people of color or even people who are Asian, people who are Native American, people who are Indian. I saw Black Panther recently and I think... I went into it kind of dreading it because I thought it was going to be like every superhero movie that exists nowadays. And I was pleasantly surprised at how the females were presented in the story as strong individuals and they drove the story just as much as other characters. I think that's what I appreciate in, you know, inclusive movies like what you want to do. And what you said completely about the horror genre is absolutely true. I can watch horror thrillers and scary movies all day. It is something that I love and something that I'm extremely passionate about. But I feel like there is a lack of originality. Like, they kind of give you a slasher and put, like, who they think that you want to see on the screen. When, in reality, most of us don't look like that. I think with horror especially, you know, in a weird way, it's like horror is the genre that we should be able to put ourselves in almost more than anything else because it's like the idea is it's supposed to scare you it's supposed to be scary to you this could be anybody and you lose that illusion when it's like it could be anybody that's on the cover of a magazine like you know so i I think it needs to be more inclusive and not only that but like lgbt films even the ones out there that i think really hit the nail on the head with content it's still always about that character being gay it's it's always a big thing it can't just be that a character is gay and then we move on or a character is non-binary and then we move on it has to be there has to be at least one scene dedicated to 
explaining it and what it means and how it affects their life. And I just, I think that that still just ostracizes people. It still makes them the other. I, I really like to try to work those details into the characters in my films and not have that be their essential character trait. And I, I think that that's what we need these days. I think if we want to normalize things and if we want to help people don't currently understand, don't currently see eye to eye with us on these social issues, we have to just show them other human beings existing the same way that they do. So I guess, yeah, if I, if I, if I have a mission statement, that's it, is just to try to be as inclusive and as socially minded while still making violent, scary horror movies as possible. <laughs> <laughs> simple, right? I think yeah. so. It's yeah. it's probably one of the better mission statements that I've heard though. Um it's <laughs> it's, it, it's always refreshing when you when you have someone that kind of sees shades of everyone around them. They don't have blinders and they're writing based off of what they see and what they know to be real. Um Shelby as an actress, how do you channel your emotions? When you're acting, how do you become those characters? Do you kind of step outside of yourself and observe the character that you need to become? Or is it a varied process for you? Um, for me, it's a very in-the-moment kind of process. Um, I think being able to pull a lot from personal experience and connect it to the experience that the character is going through helps tremendously. And... I don't know. I'm, I don't want to say that I'm someone that gets worked up very easily, but if I need to, I certainly can. And that is, that is beneficial when it comes to things like that. But, um, I mean, I guess specifically, probably a lot of people would think about the bathroom scene in talking about this kind of thing. Um, for me, it was, you know, it was late at night. So we were already all pretty tired mm -hmm. and I was sitting on the floor in this bathroom <laughs> and Mads was laying out <laughs> in the bathroom covered in blood <laughs> and Carson was crouched in this little stall with me holding the camera inches away from my face and he's like, all right, one more time. And he just shot for two minutes straight, just me working myself up into crying. And we did that a couple different times. Mm -hmm. I think we did five takes. I'm pretty sure we did it. Maybe it was, it was three or four. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously after <laughs> you have to do it a couple times, it starts to ebb away. But I think it's just taking that moment to kind of close my eyes and put myself in Max's position. Like, what has she been through up to that point that has now brought her to what is essentially her darkest moment um and just being able to sit there and kind of ruminate on that and Carson also having the perfect playlist for everything helped immensely <laughs> <laughs> playing some perfect sad music um but yeah it just it takes that moment of quiet to kind of connect with where the character's at for me yeah, one thing I really appreciate about Shelby as an actress, or just as an actor in general, is, like, I think a lot of actors that I've worked with, you know, like, in order to cry or in order to feel emotion, they have to pull from something in their personal life, which is completely valid, and it works really well. But with Shelby, she has an ability to just get emotional over the character, what they're going through, and put herself in the character's head. And I think that gives you just this brutal honest performance i mean like the, that's i think what makes the bathroom scene so effective is that she's crying about chloe's death you're not you know thinking about sad things that happened to you and then getting worked up over that and it's just i don't know it was just watching it being there in that moment was so powerful so i just i don't know it's really cool <laughs> <laughs> that's that's impressive though because you can tell the difference like i think um, I think it was Leonardo DiCaprio, who is a really good actor, but um, he acted in a movie called What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and he, spe he specifically said that there was one scene, I think it was a scene where he was being chased around the house because he wouldn't take a bath, um, where he starts crying, and there's like a moment where he said, 
in the interview that he had issues with crying, so he had to think about something really, really sad. But every other scene where he was crying was done quite naturally about who he is as a character. You can see that like millisecond shift when it's a cry about the character and when it's a cry about something that you're reminiscing on because you kind of like go to a different plane for like however many minutes you're thinking about that thing. So that's pretty cool that, that you're able to do that. Now, do you have any, out of all the different roles that you've played, whether they be in, you know, film or theater, do you have a particular character that you enjoy the most? Or let's say top three, if one is too hard. Ooh, okay. Ooh, that's a fun question. Thank you. <laughs> um, I would definitely say the, the most incredible character. Well, I wouldn't say incredible. The most liberating character I've ever played was I was I think maybe two years ago now in a production of the Rocky Horror Show and I was Columbia That's so cool. and I, <laughs> I think that that was the most just completely out of my own head I've ever been with a character just the most diving into that world and yes she was so good in that production that people literally still come up to us today, years later, and are like, oh my god, you were Columbia. <laughs> like, I cannot state enough. I wasn't able to go to the performance, but I've seen recordings of it since then. Mm -hmm. And I cannot state enough how amazing this performance was. I'm sorry, I just had to say that. Like, it's amazing. I'm sorry. Come <laughs> <laughs> Um... But yeah, other than that, I would say definitely Max is one that I feel obviously very connected with. And probably the other big one for me was when I was maybe 11, I played Alice in a production of Alice in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. And that was just a really fun experience to get to do that. And I, I, got, to, I got to return to the role a couple different times. So that's one that's just kind of stuck with me through the years, but... It's, yeah, I'd yeah. say that's my top three. Sounds right. Well, I'm obsessed with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. It was so much fun <laughs> to do that show. <laughs> I bet. And what about you, Carson? Out of everything that you've ever worked on, what's your favorite? Okay. Um, I mean, okay. the thing I'm currently the most proud of would be what if. My favorite story of my like my favorite personal story that I've created is something that I worked on in junior high and high school and something that I'm actually returning to soon um I've been working on in little pieces mm -hmm. just this crazy like I don't know how to even describe it like just this huge storyline it's a saga like, like a saga <laughs> like yes yeah and it's the story, it, it's about, it, it's very, it's kind of like a, it's like an attempt at making the most realistic fairy tale you possibly could. Like, that it's just really crazy, like, there's demons and magic and stuff, but it's set in a very real world. And that's just been my passion project for probably the past six or seven years. Um... My favorite other films that I've shot, other than What If, I made a movie in high school called Horrible Things, which was my first ever attempt at kind of capturing a piece of that saga that I've been working on. Mm -hmm. And I'll always be attached to that one because it was kind of the first really big production attempt I ever did. I had lights and a fog machine and a little camera rig and everything, so I'll always love that. Um, I also did a movie called An Exorcism did a movie. I also made a movie called An Exorcism um, about two years ago, which hasn't been released online yet, but will someday in the future. Three years. Oh my god. Three years ago. <laughs> um, and I'm going to put it online at some point soon. I'm going to start compiling everything that I've done. Um, but it's a standalone film. Mads is also in that one. That one revolves around a character named Rose, who is a modern day exorcist she's like a psychic and again it really just fits into this saga that i've been working on i kind of used it as a vehicle to like establish a lot of the rules and lore of this world that i'm creating 
So, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I feel like that's just not an answer. That was just a bunch of rambling. No. No, but you answered the question. You definitely yeah, answered the it's, question. It's, it's hard for me to quantify exactly mm-hmm. what my favorite project is because I've done so many little just short films and, like, bit pieces and things like that that are part of bigger things I'm working on. You know, obviously, What If is the crown jewel of what I've done so far. But my favorite story that I've worked on or my favorite thing that I've worked on is kind of still coming together. I think the young couple has an argument as well. Oh, yeah. That I really enjoyed. Yeah. It's just a little short film you filmed over a weekend a few years ago, but that one's on YouTube and it's yeah. pretty fun. I made a, an eight-minute short film called A Young Couple Has an Argument, and it's literally like I was just driving home from work. I was working at a pizza place at the time. I was driving home from work one day, and I was like, huh. I said this idea for this creepy little movie. So I saw it I actually. <laughs> yeah, I guess I I wrote it. The page the script was eight pages long, mm-hmm. and I literally just put out a casting call on Facebook and was like, "The first two people who respond to this, if you want to play uh, characters in a movie, come over to my house." And so we got together and shot it, and it's on YouTube right now. A young couple has an argument. <laughs> it's it's just a fun little short film. I like how realistic the argument was. It didn't feel forced, which I really enjoyed, actually. Oh, you've seen it? Yes, I've seen it. (gasps) Yeah, I watched it. I watched it and I really enjoyed it. I love watching indie films. I love watching films with aspiring filmmakers, with filmmakers who, you know, really put their passion into the work that they do. So I'm all about that. And I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it it, it was, it was interesting and, um, it, it made me think a little bit afterwards because there's this, it's not a film, it's this article and I can't remember it. And if I do, I will send it to you because it's really cool. It, your, your short film reminded me of it, but it basically went over the nuances that we have as human beings when we're cross with someone or the things that go through our mind or how we're not able to really think logically in the moment we just kind of go to this worst version of ourselves and we get yeah. manic about every single little thing and everything that that person that we're upset with kind of just intensifies that manic feeling it was it was really interesting so i i really that enjoyed your short film that sounds like something we'd love to read actually yeah. so yeah the thing that i'm working on now is really kind of trying to pull everything else together i mean I don't know, is it okay if I talk about a future project? Of course! <laughs> you can talk about anything you want. This is your okay. forum. <laughs> I'm working on... I'm, I'm finally starting to really put together this saga into an actual series. It's going to be a series, not a movie, because mm-hmm. there's just no way to do it as a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's truly just what I feel like I've been working up to for the past... 10 years and it's you know it, it's got i would say kind of the grounded realism of something like young couple but also a lot of cool supernatural elements and and uh, psychological elements to it we've created an entire fake religion for it and like it's yeah it's, it's a whole thing so it's, i'm ridiculously excited about it and yeah it's like all I talk about. It's probably super annoying, but <laughs> no, it just means you care. It's something you're excited yeah. about. I'm I'm pretty sure that everyone in my life is sick of me because I'm in the middle of writing a fantasy epic, and it's all I've literally talked about. And I just shove maps in foreign languages that are, don't even exist at people all day. Yes, I saw. I remember you put that on Facebook. I saw the she made a full alphabet. Like a, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's really really cool. Yeah. Thank you. We should talk, actually, because, like, that's totally the kind of thing I need for this project. Yeah, it's, um, I've been working on it since I was 13 years old, so it's, well, yeah, awesome. it's, it's been a, I'm 26 now, so it's been 13 years. Wow, I feel old. I don't, sorry. I'm going to talk. But. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for
It certainly sounds like so I always enter with a fun question and then a more serious question as I'm starting to close out the podcast. So I have a question for both of you. They're both different. So for Shelby, your question is if you could pick any character, whether it's in a book, a movie, a play, whatever it is to play, like to act, which one would you pick? And for you, um, Carson, if you could choose any anything to adapt, regardless of what it was, what medium it was from. Which one would you choose? Okay. Okay. Do you want to go first? <sighs> no, you go first. Okay. <laughs> um, I would adapt the uh, Roll with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy. Yes! <laughs> yeah, if I could adapt anything. And I know it's already been done twice, but I love that story. And it fits so well with the aesthetic that I enjoy creating that... I would, that would be my thing. I would adapt the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy. In fact, I want to do that someday. But I'm just hoping that, like, by the time I actually have the resources to do it, it will have been long enough since other ones have been done that it will be okay. <laughs> so that, that would be my, my dream project if I could adapt anything. Close second would be Blue is the Warmest Color. Yes, that is one of my favorite stories of all time. Sorry, I'm totally yes. interrupting you. <laughs> I, I feel like if I had to pick one thing, it'd be the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy. So, thank you. Um, oh, I mean, I have to go with the one that I have wanted my whole life, and the thing that brought me into theater, and the thing that made me start taking voice lessons, Christine Dye and the Phantom of the Opera. My yes, that's awesome. Absolute dream is to play Christine Dye on Broadway. Um. She has an Shelby has an amazing voice, by the way. She actually could do it. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> my favorite movie of all time is a story that most people probably haven't even heard of, and if they have, they probably think it's ridiculously campy and would laugh at me. But I'm going to say it anyway. My favorite movie is Auntie Mame, which is <laughs> that's great. It's over the top movie from the 1950s about this eccentric aunt who has to take on caring for her nephew and shenanigans ensue. I love it. I love it so much. But it started as a stage production and when I'm in my 60s, I desperately want to be Auntie Mae. I think it's amazing that you chose that movie because I really felt like I was the only person that knew what that movie was. Because every time I bring it up, everybody just kind of looks at me like they don't know what I'm talking about. Why? We have all the same interests. We have all the same interests. Which is pretty cool. I'm I'm an old soul, and I think it's my mom's fault because we spent our childhood watching nothing but like black and white movies. Watched a lot of Hitchcock too. Yep. TCM. It's always on. <laughs> <laughs> so my serious question is not a sc- scary question. I probably shouldn't have led with that because sometimes people like in really if you get on them, it's like, what the hell is she about to ask me? But um, it's just if you could go back in time, like if you could go back kind of like Max to your younger self and tell your younger self one thing, what would you tell your younger self? all the time you need I always specifically ask a question that I know is gonna stump the person because yeah. it I like to make people think about themselves I, we appreciate that that's awesome. storytellers yeah yes. that's, yeah it's important no I love the question I just genuinely have to think of it because I'm gonna be like oh god what would I tell myself so um, do you want to go first I I will because I actually when I turned 20 I put up a big post on Instagram. I found an old photo of myself from my sixth birthday party. <laughs> and it's it's this darkly lit shot um, taken from behind. I was wearing this pink dress-up princess gown. And you can see people kind of in the foreground. And I just, I took a long time and I got really introspective looking at that photo. And I realized that that, Still to this day, I remember it being one of my happiest childhood memories. And in 
that moment, I just, I so desperately wanted Max's powers so that I could just hold that photo and go back and walk up to that little girl in the pink dress and just tell her that as hard as life was then, it wouldn't always be that way. So that's, that's my answer to that. Yeah. It's Um, really touching. If you all want to learn more about these two magnanimously awesome individuals, you can find more information about them. They're very active on Instagram. So for Shelby Davis, it's spring underscore moon 920. And that's on Instagram. And then for Carson T. Morrissey, um, Morrissey like the band, um, it's Carson Thomas. And you can find him very active on Instagram as well. On Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash what.if.film and you can find their page where you can get updates about the new upcoming um, prequel adaptation that they're making to Life is Strange. If you go on YouTube and you search what if um, slash Dawn you'll be able to find not only their fan-made film of what if if you haven't seen it I highly recommend that you do Um, but you can also find information about what they're going to be doing with Don and just kind of the production process in some of the live streaming Q&As they've done, which was super, super exciting to watch. I sincerely thank you both again for coming on the show. It was phenomenal. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Um, Just to let you know if the ending is a little bit abrupt, that's just because with the weather, the feed kind of cut out a little bit, but I was thoroughly excited to do this interview and you guys support them. They do have a GoFundMe. Um, it's the, it's the Dawn GoFundMe and I'll actually link it in the, um, synopsis on iTunes and SoundCloud just so that they have that added support. They're almost to their goal of $5,000. There's been a lot of generous supporters, but definitely kind of, you know, help them fulfill their dreams so that they can keep creating awesome pieces of art. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you guys next week.